Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Downrange Podcast. I'm Cody, joined in a little bit by a very special guest, Mr. Ryan French. This podcast, just like everyone else, of course, sponsored by Mr. Ma Golf. They have new merch on their site right now, including new polos, cotton sweaters. Throughout the month of December, they're dropping new stuff. Got quarter zips, hoodies, wool caps, you name it. Keep an eye out on their Instagram at Mr. Ma Golf. That's at M-R-M-A Golf on Instagram to figure out when those new drops come in. And for this month, all ground shipping on all orders in the United States are free. No minimums at all. So please check them out. You know, every time you buy something from the guys at Mr. Ma Golf, you are helping them sponsor athletes, events, programming for injured vet golfers, and others in the adaptive golf community. They do a phenomenal job. Great products. Please check them out on their website, on Instagram, again, at Mr. Ma Golf. Thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast. Anyway, here's Ryan. Ryan, how are we doing today? Cody, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. If people do not know who Mr. French is, they probably know him by Mr. Q Info, or they know him by his Twitter handle, A Case of the Golf One, which is, why is the Twitter handle different than what everybody knows you by? All right. So here's the story, and my proof, like I always say, I never expected this to be anything, <laughs> and how I got that handle was I know I knew so little when I started it, Cody, about uh, social media that my idea was a case of the Mondays. <laughs> so I had no idea there was a character limit on handles. So I typed in a case of the Mondays, and Twitter's like, yeah, that's too long. And then my next one was like a case of the golf, and somehow somebody had that already. <laughs> and then Twitter suggested a case of the golf one. And I was like, well, for the 50 people that will follow me, it is irrelevant. So, sure, I'll take that. <laughs> well, it's it's stuck, and, and I'm sure it's going to be like that until until the end. Yeah, and I uh, I like reserved something close. Like I have the you know I have like at a Monday qualifier or something that's like actual relevant, and and I'm like I just it's too late now. <laughs> just keeping it. I love it. So Ryan is a, a full time employee at the Fire Pit Collective. He's the host of his own podcast called The Grind over there on their network and what what I'd say a co-host of the main Fire Pit Collective podcast, uh, primarily focusing there on the fire drills with co-hosts Alan Shipnuck and Michael Bamberger. Question. Yeah, really just try to stay out of the way. That's what I was going to say. Cody. Question. I mean, it's just like. Question there is like how, I mean, incredible, incredible opportunity to be at a company with those two, but to be on a podcast with them weekly and you're like, okay, I'm just going to try to not take yeah. all all the oxygen out of the room here. Yeah, exactly. I really try my best because it's very much uh, true is like speak for the people who would love to sit in that room. And uh, I'm lucky enough to do it. I mean, we got off on a tangent the other day about like Frank Licklider and they just told this great story about Frank Licklider and Brad Faxon having a cussing each other out at the uh, at the like shark shootout or whatever it's called <laughs> right. now. And I was just like, how great is that that they know that? And I just I, I try to be the nerd that would like to be in the room because that's what I am. I'm 
amazed I'm on a podcast with those two guys. I know. I uh, same thing. Uh, listening back last week to the hero recap, and then all of a sudden this tangent of tangents on tangents, and next thing you know, you're like discussing and and talking about not only like in depth tiger stories but of relaying the information of when Wright is chartering jets to go down to Albany and everything else. The, the background, the depth of knowledge that those guys have in golf yeah. is, is so incredible. And I think everybody's just super fortunate that they have a platform now that they can let those stories out because it's, it's things that people need to hear. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Michael and Alan are both been around forever and uh, that's what, you know, has drawn them to fire pit is they can do and say what they want. Uh, and it's the same thing. I, I don't realize because I don't have a journalistic background, but you know, I've come to appreciate how lucky I am. I write what I want. No one says what to or not to write. And, uh, so it's, it's a dream, dream scenario. So before we start talking about Monday qualifiers and the next great tour player that's coming up, no matter what circuit they're playing on, what were you doing before all this? Yeah, I was in the restaurant business, Cody, and uh, I've just always been a golf nerd. And then uh, I always tell him I'm actually working on organizing a trip. But my dad and I used to take a caddy trip a year and go caddy on a mini tour. And like I used to think that was somewhat normal, but that's super, that's super abnormal. That's really nerdy. And um, that was our guy's trip. Instead of playing golf, we went and caddied on a mini tour. And, uh, I've always said the same thing is that I learned, I knew that guys were really good and, and, and women were pros were, that weren't playing on the top tours were really good, but obviously up close, you get a, a much greater appreciation, but those caddy trips were more of what I cover now is the lifestyle outside of it. I guess I was kind of like a lot of casual golf fans. I just didn't really think about the financial aspect of pro golf. And I just was like, and I tell this story a lot is, I w- we our tradition for my dad and I was to camp and uh, we were in just like a state campground the first time we went to Canadian tour pre it being a PGA tour uh, affiliated tour it was just a mini tour in Canada and uh, I went into the public restroom to brush my teeth or whatever at night and there was a, a pro there and I'm like what it like just blew my mind that like a pro and and I got to talking to him and they're camping with like, yeah, you. I pull my camper. Yeah. I pull my camper to save money. And I'm just like, what? That's insane. I just didn't think about it. So, uh, flat, fast forward, um, many years and my, uh, our, our son my, had brain surgery, uh, five years ago. And, uh, I started a Twitter account. I left my job. It was going to be temporarily, uh, to kind of, uh, get him back to health. My wife held our uh, health insurance. She's a nurse and, um, and s- our son is fine and doing great. And somehow five, I haven't gone back to work and spent five years. <laughs> well, good. It's good to hear somehow I'm on this podcast. Yeah. It's all, it's all crazy. Yeah. It's good to hear that he's doing good. Was it a hard decision at the time? I mean, I, I, I'm so lucky that I have three little girls that are in amazing shape health wise. Everything's fine. But I remember when I have twins that came first, and one of them, for the first year of her life, really, really struggled with keeping food down and everything. We thought that it was just normal, like, oh, new mom and dad stuff, Mm -hmm. feeding too quick, not burping enough. Like, why is this baby keep vomiting and, and struggling to keep weight on and everything? And we would go to our doctors all the time, 
And they would tell us, oh, yep, you got to feed them lower and take more time burping. And then we got on prescription uh, formula and off of breast milk and like went down this long rabbit trail until it got to the point where we both were like pulling out our hair and went and started getting second and third opinions and everything else like that. And then finally found out what was the matter and had to have an emergency surgery because then all of a sudden your life immediately switches to like one of your kids is in a life or death situation. And what are you going to do with your life? And I remember being at that crossroad thinking like, wow, everything that I used to think was so important in my life via work or even me and my wife's relationship is no longer important at all. This is the primary thing and thinking, well, I know how important this is, but can I make the decision if something drastically goes wrong here of like stopping everything that I am as Cody and what I enjoy to be able to care and and take care of one of our kids? So for you, I mean, was that a hard, hard thing to come to or was it, you know, just kind of how it's going to go? Yeah, I mean, yes, the decision is hard, and, um, you know, we'll get we'll get deep, and I appreciate the question, Cody. Uh, yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to not have uh, a purpose in life outside of caring for your kids, you know. Um, I say it all the time as, you know, Jack had, has Chiari malformation, which, ironically, Bobby Jones had. I always make the joke of, just be careful of wishing that your kid is like Bobby Jones. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he had, uh, you know, he had surgery, and it. And I always say, I'm glad we went through it. Like, I wish it didn't happen, but it, the same thing that you get, you guys went through, uh, you know, it gives – I always say is if you sp- – we spent some significant time in a children's hospital, and if you go in there and not leave with some perspective that your stuff isn't isn't uh as bad as you think you know we went in there feeling sorry for ourselves right and and left feeling pretty lucky um and as far as as staying home yeah it was a really tough decision you have to find purpose uh you have to be okay with being in sweatpants every day and you know i ran a group of restaurants that's what i've done uh my for the most of my life you know people always need you your managers do employees there's always something to do and then all of a sudden, outside of your kids, no one cares. <laughs> you know, no one right. needs you. And and to find some, I mean, that is the reason for the account is I needed some adult outlet, you know, to sit there and watch TV and clean the house and make dinner and those kind of things. Uh, you know, it's hard to find purpose. And that is, that's what led to the account is like, I need to find an adult outlet uh, for doing it. it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Obviously, it's turned into this. But even outside of that, um you know, on a very d- deep level, I, I always say is that I never miss my kids prior to that because that was just life, right? Like I ran restaurants and sometimes I left before they woke up and came home after they were dinner. And I was like, I didn't, I, I don't remember ever saying like, wow, I miss my kids today. You know, I didn't see them. But if I had to do that now, it's crazy. Uh, I see my kids, mo- unless I'm traveling now and I'm traveling a little more, it's just I see my kids every day. Uh, and I took them to school today and I never did that stuff and never, I don't want to say I didn't care. I just didn't know I was missing it. Right. And so, uh, outside of the obvious stuff that I get to do now as a, as a golf journalist, it's unreal. That is by far the most rewarding part is, uh, 
is getting to see my wife and kids most every day and, and make my own schedule and those things is just uh, very, very appreciative of where I'm at. Yeah, the freedoms that come with it, it's it's incredible, not only for like your personal health, well-being, mental space, but what you're doing for the next generation of your family. Like it's it's an incredible example to set for your kids, and that's what I think of all the, all the time as well, is that like how grateful I am for the opportunity that I would have never seen myself sitting here wearing this stuff. Like I would, I used to buy all, like I'm a golf nut. So I used to buy everything from everyone. And now you get the opportunity to work with people and you're like, what in the, what is going on? Like, when are you going to wake up from this and realize like, ah, like, yeah, you're the, the, you're an imposter. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. I mean, same. I, uh, we just had this conversation off the podcast that we talked about in the open, and, and Alan's like, "You got to stop saying you're lucky." And I'm like, "No, because that's the day that yeah. I, I gotta I gotta give this up." Like, you know, uh, I mean, I get it's crazy. I was at the U.S. Open the day that I take those type of things for granted, and obviously, like, I'm not saying every day I wake up and go, "Oh, this is so great," <laughs> but like, there's times like the Frank Licklider story. This is like in the middle of it. I'm just like, "How did this all come to be?" You know. Um, yeah, and the day I, I stop appreciating that, I think my account's in big trouble because uh, that's, you know, I try to be, you know, I just wrote a story about my dad's dementia and those kind of things. It's like I try to be as open as I can be and be as sincere as, as I, I can because if if that wears off, then I, I think my account's in, in big trouble, you know? Yeah, I think that's part of the the thing that's most enduring about you and the account in general is because of, how much you relate to people who are professional golfers. And when people think of professional golfers, they'll think of Tiger, Phil, Rory, Jordan, you name it. But that they don't realize that that's like the point zero 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 one, like NBA All-Stars, they're, you know, NBA All-50 team in the NFL Hall of Fame. Like those guys are such unique individuals and they don't realize that the tens of thousands of other people that are out there, both men and women, journeymen, all across this world that are trying to do this for a living, that that feel called to do it, that are phenomenal golfers. They're so good. And they're literally, like, most of the time, not even, like, a stroke away, but at times, like, a, a single decision away yep. from being that guy. Yeah. I, I always use Mark Baldwin just because I've spent – so much time I've caddied for him in three PGA tour events now. And we've been lucky enough to like play here in my hometown and, you know, pro-ams and those kind of things. And every single time is like, how are you? Have you not made it? And if you played with Mark Baldwin or any other thousands of pros out there and, you know, you, you, it's just such an appreciation for how good these guys are. And I always say it's always appreciation for how good Tiger and Rory and those guys are. Like they're obviously another huge step. Now, uh, there's a ton of guys that if they were given a PGA tour card, they can compete. Obviously they wouldn't be like top 50, top 10 in the world. But I, I mean, uh, I'll use the Mark Baldwin example. We, he had, he came here to caddy for me in my little tiny city open, he had travel nightmare, got in about 2 a.m. We got here to my hometown at like 5 a.m., and we had to tee up with a bunch of guys that wanted to play with him at 8 a.m. Uh, down here. And he like he didn't have 
uh, we we slept in, didn't hit a single uh, range ball, didn't hit a single putt. Uh, you know, tired, never saw the course before. Shot sixty eight, and it's just like you know, like you just, it's such an appreciation for how good guys and women are that that are you know out there not on the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour. Right. And the thing that drives me insane, and I'm, I'm sure you you will agree with this, are the people that that claim that if you are not, so okay, say you get your PGA Tour card, but you're not in the top 20. You didn't make the PIP list this year. You're not in the top 50. You're not in the top 75. Heck, you didn't even make the Tour Championship. You might be grinding to keep your card for next year. Those guys should quit. They should hang it up. And I don't think they realize that that would be the same of saying like, oh, okay, so you're a CEO of a company, all right? Yeah. You, you've done something. You're, you've put in the time. You've grinded. You've been an executive your whole entire life. But because you're not a CEO of a company on the Forbes top 100 list, you should quit. Yeah. You should quit. Like, yeah. what, what are you laugh. talking about? I, I always laugh at, like, you know, guys, uh, I mean, obviously – He's a fan the no laying up uh crew, but like Martin Trainer, former <laughs> PGA Tour winners, right? Like they yeah, they struggle, but you have no idea how good Martin Trainer is. Like zero. To win on the PGA Tour is just insane. And, you know, to read comments is like, oh, that guy's trash or this guy's trash, like you have literally no idea. Just none. Just it's uh it is I mean uh, that is why I love sports golf i hope we're not getting too far away from the the great stories of of you know 125 and keeping your card and all those kind of things but um yeah it is uh the general public just has has very little idea and i think you know it just wasn't a, a part of the sport that was covered and looking back of why this account has become a thing is just people didn't cover it uh they didn't think it would get clicks or whatever and obviously in the scheme of things, like stories about Tiger and stories about Mark Anguiano, who 99% of people have never heard about, there's no comparison. But there's a human interest side to golf that I've been lucky enough to cover. So if we go back to the surgery and you making the decision to start the Twitter account, and we know the reason why you kind of decided to focus on these is because you felt like it was a story that needed to be told. Nobody else was really telling it, but what were kind of the steps that you took from there on? Yeah. I mean, I started the account, Cody, really the, the first idea. And I, and I'm telling you, like I sat at my kitchen table and had this idea for two minutes, right? It wasn't like I, <laughs> there was no spreadsheets or anything. The, the first idea is like, for those that don't know that are listening, Monday qualifiers are, are run by PGA sections that run all over the country. They're never on a single website. So the idea was really to start of, of have a place where a person can go and find all the Monday qualifiers leaderboard. That's it. That was like the idea. And then I slowly started to tell like stories from my caddy trips or guys I knew through caddying or I would go caddy on a mini tour if a friend came uh, into town and there was one close, there was a corn ferry event and those kind of things. And then it took off and, and, you know, I don't, I don't remember an aha moment, but I just, over time, you're just like, oh, these people have no idea. I was such a like nerd that I was just like, oh, some people might, might know about this. And I was like, oh, no one has like, no one has any idea, you know, <laughs> like they would have, obviously it, it, 
it's known now, but like no one would have any idea when I started the account that Aaron Baddeley, who's won four times, or Jonathan Bird, who's won four times, are mo- at most Monday qualifiers. They would they would just be like, what? He's a PJ Tour. He's won four times. He must be in the field. Right. Uh, so they just would have zero idea, you know. Um, and so I just started to tell stories, and uh, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah, how to so. It, it grow it grew I, ne- I never made money from it for a long time and I was trying to figure it out um, but back to the life thing is you know we were we were totally fine we had owned a house and and two crappy cars and those kind of things but we were like relatively broke and we had medical bills piling up and it was the happiest I've ever been like uh, we were I was tweeting about golf and I was home every day with my wife and kids and uh, I mean it was a great time so uh, tried to figure it out how to make it a business and then uh, for three years didn't make a dime and uh, talked to Tron a bunch he was super super helpful the guys at No Laying Up have been have been great to me and um, and uh, and then 18 months ago 16 months ago got hired by Fire Pit and it's been a dream come true pretty crazy what did the the Fire Pit connection come from just via Twitter, uh, Matt and I and uh, and Alan and I had, had just sent messages uh, during during COVID when it first shut shut down. Um, Alan and I had our first interaction. Then uh, the Scottsdale Open, I believe it was the only sporting event going on in the entire world. I believe they were like just f it, we're, we're playing, and uh, it was like right when the pandemic started. I mean, no one was thinking about doing anything everything was shut down and the scottsdale open went on and uh and joel damon played in it you know a lot of guys live in the scottsdale area obviously so they could drive to it and uh alan went he was working at golf magazine and and he he sent me a message and was like you know who are these guys basically and so we jumped on a phone i just kind of gave him a rundown of like you know who was going to be there and whatever and then matt and i matt janelle and i have just uh, stayed in touch via Twitter. It's just like, Hey, you know, big fan of what you're doing. And then, yeah, uh, they called me and, um, yeah, uh, the crazy, I mean, among many crazy moments, but it was a zoom call is Matt Allen and myself, and they made me an offer. And, uh, my wife was sitting off to the right and obviously she'd supported us as a nurse through COVID and, uh, and, uh, they made me an offer. I, you know, I tried to play it cool. Like, yeah, I'll get back to you. (laughs) And, uh, and I uh, and I shut the computer. My wife was bawling, and uh, I was just like, "What? What the hell has happened in my life? Like this is insane, insane." Um, and so, yeah, it's been it's it's taken off from there. But uh, it, yeah, it literally came just via d- direct messages on Twitter. That's how the relation. I when I accepted the job, I had met neither of them in life in in real life, only via Twitter or Zoom. That's incredible, and very very much deserved. Goes to show, Thank hey, you. you're passionate you about much. something. You put the hard work in, dedicated, good things will come around. That's definitely yeah. case in point of this. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I've said a lot, Cody, is I can relate to players a lot better now. Obviously, I've had like an inside the ropes uh, through Mark a lot of times, so it gives me a better perspective. But my own, like, again, I'm not trying to say make this dramatic at all. We were totally fine. It's just not like we had a lot. We had a small house and – two two crappy cars and we were totally fine but it was a grind you know yep. we were trying to figure out how to make this a living and 
my wife was working as a nurse and I was just like, oh, I'm like, we're on parallel things. I'm covering people who are trying to figure out how to make this a living and I'm figuring out trying how to make this a living. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was great. It's great. There's no zero. I, I, again, I very much appreciate what they're going through because I loved the time I was most of the time, uh, that I was going through it, but it was also like, Hey, am I ever going to make it? Is this ever going to work out? Totally supported from your wife the entire time. <laughs> I mean, insane. I, I can only imagine her parents are not, uh, her father's passed away, but her mother is, is not a great communicator. And I just, I would love to like give them some truth serum and be like, I'm sorry, your husband isn't working and he's tweeting about golf. And this has been going on for three years while you go to the, my wife worked the 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift. Oh. So she would get up at 3 a.m., go into the hospital and like come home at 2 p.m. And uh, like, I mean, from the outside, it's so ridiculous. I mean, we did that for three years. I mean, I was bar so I started to feel somewhat bad that I was not bringing in any income and tweeting about golf. And so I started to bartend on the weekends. Um, but just ridiculous that uh, for three years, my wife went to, during a global pandemic, uh, right. went to a, a hospital every day and I was tweeting about golf. And I remember one day I, she came home and I don't, it doesn't, I don't remember exactly what I was like complaining about. Oh, no, this guy didn't give me updates from the Monday qualifier. And I was like, Oh yeah, maybe I should maybe not complain about this. <laughs> so as you first started going and you realize that there's, there's events happening all over the place. And I know that, that little by little, you slowly started to not only gain a following, but support and people would pass you information. And I know that at, at one point in time you had like, I think a couple people with you, right? Part of the the Monday Q info kind of team. Well, yeah, I I had a lot of people around. So a lot of the time, Cody, I would get information. The sections had never had coverage like this, right? Like right. Southwest section in Scottsdale or the Georgia section in in Georgia. They they had no one cared ever about Mondays, and so you know it drove traffic to to their website. Yep. I mean they were. Yeah, they were pumped to help. So most of the time, the the information I got came from the sections, right? Like, I, I used the South Florida section. Great people. Uh, Brett uh, and Jeff are amazing. And it was a Honda Monday. Uh, and this was, if there is such an aha moment, this was it. It was a Honda Monday. And I could get off on a tangent how that used to be the Super Bowl on Mondays. But um, it always leaks into the Tuesday uh, because the field is so big. So Tuesday morning, Jeff... Uh, and Brett were there and I was just like, Hey, give me updates, you know? And Brett like was sending me pictures and giving me shot by shot. And I was just tweeting it out. Like literally it was like, you know, I don't even remember. Uh, I think Sung Young Noel was in there. It was like a playoff and he was like, Sung Young Noel just hit in the water. And that's what I would tweet. And I would send a picture out and it was just like, people really cared. And literally I had to take my kids to school and I tweeted out, well, should I, you know, should I, take my kids to school on time or should I, uh, should I keep updating this thing? It was just like, you got to keep updating it. I can't believe it. And I re Paul Pastor, I'm sorry, Paul, if it wasn't you, but I, I think it was like Paul, I think it was Paul Pastor missed like a, a one foot putt to, to win the Monday. And it, it and it, like I tweeted it out. And, but anyway, I mean, I went to kid, I went to the school and 
the the funniest part is I went to school and I of course lied to the p- teacher of why I was late, you know, and my and uh, do you remember what the lie was? I, I was just like, yeah, you know, one of those mornings or something like that, you know, <laughs> and uh, and my wife goes, it was because you were working on your computer, and I'm like, oh god, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I'm in sweatpants, I don't look like I have a job anywhere, you know, <laughs> and I didn't for that matter. But that was like that was very much an aha moment. But I didn't have anybody with me. But when I went to when I would go to like we invested a little bit of money to like go to a couple Monday qualifiers or would drive to ones that were close and followers would come help me or friends would come and like, you know, take pictures or go cover a different side of the course while I'm doing it was very like hunt and peck figure out as we go. Right. I think, I guess the only reason why I think of that is that I, for some reason I thought there was a guy named Neil. Yeah. Yeah. So Neil helped me for a long time. Neil uh, Johnson is a player and we raised some money from him. Uh, he sold shares of himself, and Neil's a great guy and uh, has won a bunch of state opens and, and just stopped playing last year and is now on the financial side of things, uh, financial business. But, uh, yeah, one of my favorite moments is uh, Tom Kim. Neil Neil took the video. We're at the Waste Management uh, Monday, I think it's 2020. It's not that long ago. And uh, Tom Kim had hit, hit – uh, it, it's my favorite video of all time. It will always be my favorite Monday Q moment. Uh, Tom Kim had hit his ball onto a bridge, um, and he was waiting for a ruling. So the ball was laying on a bridge, and uh, he's waiting for a ruling. And McCormick Ranch is the most stereotypical Monday Q course. Yeah. It's just not very good. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a factory. They put out foursomes as fast as they can tee it up. It's just a, like a. It's fine. You know, it's just a fine course there's no place to have a pro event there's mats and they don't yes. close the uh, the range i mean it's just perfect and um pete this woman i see her coming and neil and i see her coming and she has her she's walking her dogs on the golf course and tom kim wasn't tom kim that we know today but he was like top 100 in the world uh but he you know he wasn't not not known to the casual golf fan as he is now and i was just, and he was like 19 or whatever he was at the time and I think it is the second or f- time he had played in the States. And this woman comes with her two dogs, and she's Canadian, and she does not care what is happening. And she comes across the bridge that Tom is, like, sitting there, and he literally has to go over and guard his ball like that, like standing over it. And she's just like, I know this is important in the most Canadian accent ever. Like, I know this is important. He'll eat that ball. He will. And just walks on. And I was just like, holy crap. Was that the most Monday? And Neil took it, and I was just laughing in the background. So, yes, Neil was a part of it. Uh, I mean, there's been so many people that have helped me. So, if we want to, let's let's break down what an actual Monday qualifier is. Sure. A lot of people don't realize this, but I think they think that that professional golfers, all these people, a uh, couple hundreds, all show up and they follow the PGA Tour schedule, and there's an event this Thursday through Sunday, and and the field is set because for some reason this is what they chose to do and got this fake card and and people claim that they're a professional but anybody can really say that they're a professional there's no real uh like vetting process that you have to go through once you decide to be an amateur to a pro but if we could break it truly break it down and and let the people know who might not what would you describe it as i describe it as uh well on a much broader scale uh i would I would describe it as one of the coolest things in sports. There's n- there's nothing like it. Uh, 
I say this all the time and people laugh. It's like there's no free throw contest to join the Lakers for the night. Uh, and and I use a, a guy named Todd Belkin every time I, I, I say this is Todd Belkin worked as a pizza manager and then as an assistant pro. He's kind of just like a guy that never was going to play for a living and uh, played a pre-qualifier, which I'll talk about in a minute, and then uh, and then played well, had to work, and so couldn't play practice round went out on a monday i think it was byron nelson and uh and shot like 66 around of his life and and played in the event and missed it by nine but he'll never be able to not say like he'll always be able to tell his kids that he played at the, on the top level of golf and i don't remember if tiger it doesn't i don't know if it was far enough back where tiger was playing the byron but like he i i was messaging him through this and he was he's an australian guy who lived in texas and he was like I played with John Sendon today. I played with uh, Rafa Cabrera Bayo. He's like, it's the coolest thing ever. And, like, you just can't do it in any other sport. But to break it down, if you have a handicap of below two or you turn professional, and that leads into another, like, why these people uh, shoot 130 at a pre-qualifier, <laughs> you can play in a pre-qualifier. The PGA Tour has pre-qualifiers. The Corn Ferry Tour does not. So below a 2.0, if you're a ha- if you're an amateur, you can play in a pre-qualifier. Uh, the amount of people that get through a pre-qualifier is based on how many people are in the Monday. The PGA Tour tries to limit the field to about 75 players. Uh, it's not always possible, for instance, like the waste management coming up. But right. um, So pre-qualifiers held on like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday of the prior week, they get through. The people that are through to the Mondays have some sort of status. Corn Ferry members, there's a, a million ways, but former PGA Tour winners, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so... Monday is very simple and why I love it. It's the most democratic thing in sports. Go shoot one of the four best scores. Every Monday qualifier has four open spots besides the waste management. It has three, um, and there's only a f- certain events. So Memorial, Arnold Palmer are considered invitationals. They don't have Monday qualifiers. There's twenty Currently, there's, I think, 26 events that have Monday qualifiers. And it's very democratic. Shoot one of the four best scores on Monday. And you get to tee it up at a PGA Tour event. It's pretty damn cool. And not just Monday qualifiers for PGA Tour events. There's also Monday qualifiers for European DP World Tour events, for Corn Ferry Tour, for Latin America, Canada, you name it. Basically, almost, <laughs> I would say every professional circuit, but almost every professional circuit. Yeah, European is the only one that doesn't regularly have them. They have them on their co-sanctioned events, so like the ones in South Africa right now because the Sunshine Tour does have qualifiers um but yeah every major tour has monday qualifiers basically not the live tour well that's different considering this uh a major tour they have a they have a following so yes but there is rumblings of a monday qualifier which will be insane well that's i i think we'll get there on the back half of of the conversation but i think the biggest thing is that just like you're saying so if there's a monday qualifier most Almost every single one, except for Phoenix, has four spots available. And if yep. you qualify, yep. there's usually, ma- on these Mondays, they usually turn into massive 10 for 1, yep. you know, it, whatever playoffs. And they become these yep. events. And, and these stories, these not only just from, from grinders who are out there playing week to week, guys trying to move up tours, whatnot, to pizza makers, farmers, it doesn't matter what your status is. Like you have the opportunity to go do it. And that's where these stories are resonating from. If you look at it on the business side though, 
that's where it kind of starts to get a little bit confusing because as you discussed earlier, the qualifying process is actually run by the section. So when we talk about the section, meaning the PGA of America section of professional golfers that wherever this qualifier region is in, in order to get into a PGA Tour, which is PGA Tour Inc.'s event, and there's issues based off of uh, monies that are provided, uh, passed down from PJ Tour Inc. to the section, which goes into staffing, course selection, everything else like that. But also what turns in it, it, it into is kind of like this weird bureaucratic crapshoot of like, wait, what is going on? Where is the money going to? Because it's not like a normal entry fee a lot of they're they're expensive they're very expensive to go play in and when you have people who are doing this week to week to week like it is a an extremely expensive endeavor you laid out the schedule if you happen to be somebody who has to go through pre-qualifying this is now a two-week endeavor with hopes of getting the opportunity to tee it up for a thursday morning tea time at a pga tour event and that's when the real expenses start. Yes. Because <laughs> it's all more expenses. Which is why you get people, like you described earlier, pulling their campers and, and this vagabond lifestyle that the old school PGA Tour used to be famously known for is yep. still playing out in real life. But yep. it's created a system of the haves and the have-nots. The people who, re- regardless of skill, it, it becomes like, well, if he has the money, if he has the backing... To just, you know, not I don't want to use the word grind, but just kind of like be the last man standing. Because over time, people that are, that are extremely skilled, that are amazing, all Americans, some of them might not even played in college, but great golfers end up having to quit and hang it up just based off of the financial burden that this whole thing brings. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of... Uh you know, top amateurs that are either teaching on ranges or in office buildings because of the financial aspect. Um, 100%. Uh, I mean, obviously this doesn't fall into the financial aspect because he signed a big contract, but it does fall into Mondays. Uh, I mean, Norman Jong was, you know, by Casey Martin's uh, quote, the next Tiger Woods. And he was playing pre-qualifiers. And I, I mean, it hit me. I saw him at a Monday qualifier at... Um, the rocket mortgage. And we're talking about the best amateur in the entire world. Uh, and he didn't have his logo. He didn't have his name on his bag and nondescript. No one would have ever known him. And it's just wild. And that it, it's uh, not, it, but that's what I love about golf, right? Like, of course he got some money uh, up front, but right. like mo- the most of the players don't get anything up front. They're just like, okay, Hey man, you're going <laughs> to, Go turn bro, go figure this out. And uh and the number one amateur and the number five thousand amateur teed up at Q school all on zero. Uh there's no there's no scout that says, Hey, no, obviously there's PJ Tour U now. We're getting to right. the point that's a much deeper discussion. But I'm just talking on a broad sense. If whoever is at Q school, it's all even. It's all even. Uh no one says, Oh, yeah, that bogey because you're the best amateur in the world, you get through. No, it's not how it works. And Mondays is that's what I love about Mondays. So uh financially, uh five hundred dollars for someone with no status to get just an entry fee. 
um, I always say you add in a travel. So most guys come in Saturday because uh, they want to play a practice round. That is not free. Uh, that's $100. You obviously flight in. You have a hotel for usually three nights because Monday Mondays are usually big enough that uh, you have afternoon tea times too, so you can't get out that night. So you're talking Saturday, Sunday, Monday night. Uh, you might be able to get out Monday afternoon. It's fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars if you're flying in from somewhere for a Monday qualifier. If you play the pre qualifier, now you're talking. You got to figure out either you got to fly back home and then fly back in for the Monday, or find a place to stay, or crash on a guy's your buddy's couch or whatever. You're talking twenty five hundred. Once you make the cut, it's real expensive start. But uh, of course, as always, PGA Tour Inc wins in the financial aspect game uh a large portion of the entry fee for a monday the the sections make money on the pre-qualifiers on the on the monday itself a lot of it goes to uh the pga tour um basically the sections depending on where it's being held and if their staff has to travel and those kind of things it's basically a break-even proposition they have to pay the course um and uh yeah, it's uh, it's quite a windfall, as most things are when it comes to grinders for the PGA Tour. So let me ask you this then: like, why why would the section still be interested in it then? They make a little money, and it's contracted. You know, I think Cody break it on this show, but uh, you know, it's coming to a head as some of these elevated events, and I, I'm not sure the PGA Tour has thought has thought through this you know they have an agreement with pj tour america to run these monday qualifiers as elevated events it seems will be limited field in 2024 and mondays will go away for instance the four rotating uh elevated events all currently have mondays right and obviously that will change but for the there's going to be at least some of the elevated events that would have normally had mondays and uh it's a like the waste management, because they have so many pre-qualifiers, so many pros live down there, this is a huge part of the Southwest section's budget yes. for the year. A huge. I mean, they they have nine pre-qualifiers with, eight, uh, with 80 to 90 guys in them. That's where the section makes money. money? It's insane. The, it's insane, the pre-qualifiers. But it's like 45% of their budget. If, the elevated, if waste management becomes an elevated event and there's no Monday, the section, where, where does that... Where does that windfall? Where do they make up the that that money? It's coming to a head. Well, they're still I'm, contracted to do it. Yeah, exactly. And so it's going to end in court, <laughs> as most things do with the PJ Tour and of late. So, um, and I know there are outside of like the financial things, like most sections that host Monday qualifiers, they also. Most of them are given either one, a form of tournament exemption or something like that. So you, if you have a guy that like, you know, I'm in I'm in Texas. I recently moved from yep. from North Carolina out to Texas, but like North Texas PGA section, their, their winner, their their leader of their season long race usually gets an automatic invite into the Byron. Yep. So like JJ, you know, got that last year. JJ is going to get this this year because phenomenal player, won against a ton of really yep. really good, uh, you know. Guys in, I don't want to call them club pros, but guys that play in, in normal section events uh, full-time. Very much deserving. So I, I understand where that comes from. Um, but the money side of it is is absolutely nuts. And I knew that about pre-qualifiers. 
I didn't realize that about actual Mondays. And I would say this and then like, what's the PJ Tour doing with this money? <laughs> that is, that's always the million dollar question. You know, it's the same. Uh, it goes for Corn Ferry Q School. It will go for Q School next year. I don't know what they're going to call it. It's basically still Corn Ferry Q School with five cards. But um, I'll have an article coming out here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, they collect millions of dollars uh, for um, for Q School, Corn Ferry Q School. The sections get paid a, a set amount, and they don't make anything. So the sections have to run these events. Uh, first stage, and I th- I believe they get $35,000 from the PGA Tour to run a section. Now, they have to pay the course. They have to do the rules officials, same at a Monday qualifier. They have to pay their staff to be there. The tour has usually an official on site, but that's their only expense. They pay a set amount. Most section people have told me if they have to travel anywhere, it's a break-even proposition for them. Uh, at best, you know, they get a set amount. That amount hasn't changed despite the despite the uh, growth or the entry fee going up. Uh, and so it's the same at Mondays. You know, they have to have the staff. They have to yeah. market. They have to get the hotels for their, them. They have to organize. They have to negotiate with the course. And um, and they always, you know, the tour never gets the short end of the stick. Uh, it's all it's always the section. Uh, and so. Yeah, there's no purse. Uh, they, as far as I know, and I have yet to confirm this, Cody. So, I'm sorry to the PGA Tour if, if they're listening and they don't. The the Monday qualifiers don't get the you know the new five thousand dollars if you make the cut uh, if you are in the field. Uh, I don't believe Monday qualifiers get it unless they're a member. So yeah, that's just, what I was, uh, that's what I understand too. Unless you're a, a yeah. member, that's the only way that you're getting the the auto check. Yeah, so it's uh. The, the financial aspect from the player's perspective to go to a Monday, I mean, at $2,000 a pop, or just call it 1500 because sometimes you're going to be close enough to drive or whatever. I mean, how many can most players go to? It's, and, and the odds, I use Andrew Yoon as a great example. Uh, Andrew Yoon, All-American at Stanford, went onto the BJ Tour, on the Corn Ferry Tour now, a very good, very decorated player. Uh, got through this year when he was having a baby at the uh, Puerto Rico when his wife was having a baby. And I said, how many uh, Mondays have you? I knew it was his first Monday. And I said, how many Mondays have you played? And he said, I think 105. Uh, 105 Mondays without getting through (laughs) for a player that was All-American at one of the best golf universities in the country. So, I mean, it's, it's a great insight into this life, Cody. Players bet all the time on themselves. All the time. And against overwhelming odds, um, uh, again, I have an up close. So I keep using Mark as an example, but Mark had an exemption in the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, made the cut. It was Sunday. Uh, the PGA Tour has uh, has Pro-Ams that a lot of people don't know about held either the day after or during the week besides the regular Wednesday one. And Mark got offered $3,000 to play in one the next day, Monday. And he turned it down to fly to back to Phoenix to try to Monday qualifier. We got in at 1 a.m. We have no chance. I mean, almost no chance. 1 a.m., you got to tee it up at 10. You know, you're tired. There's adrenaline let down from, like, the, the fact that you were just on the PGA Tour. Then now you realize you have no status. Like, we have no chance. But you just – that's not how these guys work. They're just like, yeah, I'm going to go get through the Monday. 
the sheer yeah. difference of playing Pebble Beach one day and McCormick Ranch the next. <laughs> yeah. There was a picture I put up on Twitter of like we were at the you know one of the greatest golf resorts in the world, and then the next day we're hitting off mats at McCormick Ranch. <laughs> it still blows my mind. I, I went to college in in Tempe, and every time I'm like, I I don't I didn't want to play McCormick yeah. Ranch then. Like why why is this the spot? But I get it. It's a because no one wants to host yes. it. That's that is that's the that's the reason. It's no good golf courses. They a just don't know what decision. Yeah, one hundred percent. The the section doesn't want to pay for a nice course, and nice courses don't know who the hell the people are teeing it up on Monday, so it doesn't bring them any recognition. They don't want to leave there. It's not really about the Monday, you know. Like nice courses are obviously closed on Monday most of the time. They don't want to lose Sunday, right? Uh, because you know, a hundred guys are trying to play a practice round. And so they don't want to lose the Sunday. It's a little bit about the Monday, but mostly about the Sunday. So coming off the, the 2022 calendar year of Monday qualifiers, I think you see quite a few guys who out there grinding. Some of them made it through, got corn Ferry tour cards this year. But if there's a couple guys or gals, whichever direction you want to go with it, probably guys would be easier because Q school is still going on right now for the girls, but people to keep your eye on who got cards, who's back corn Ferry tour. And who are we going to see probably back playing these Monday circuits routinely? Yeah. I, I mean, to cover quickly last year and what a Monday can do, Cody, uh, Chris Nagel, longtime grinder, uh, 39 years old, uh, got into the U S open, made the cut. And then, uh, Qualified four out of five weeks, which is insane, and finished. He was in contention at the John Deere, and uh, got into the Corn Ferry Finals based on some finishes. Uh, There's also a story about Bubba. There was some social media pressure that I that we all put on Bubba to resign his membership. Everybody knew he was going to live. It got Chris into the Corn Ferry Finals, but just as an example of how it can change, Chris had no status. He was playing on the All Pro Tour. Uh, which is a mini tour in the in the middle of uh, the country. Uh, you know, Monday qualified for the John Deere, finished seventeenth, and and changed his career. I mean, he's got a full corn fairy status. Same for Patrick Flavin. Obviously, Patrick is was known as an amateur, uh, but missed at second stage last year. But then, the obviously the season turned over. Wasn't even going to go because it, but the Bermuda Monday qualifier was just down the road. Went two days after he missed it, second stage, got through, finished seventeenth. Same thing, got into the Corn Ferry Finals and changed his, changed his career. Though that is exactly why you see a hundred guys paying fifteen hundred dollars to tee it up at a Monday because they all. I've said this about. Th- there's plenty of players out there, Cody, at Mondays that don't have a chance. But but a ton do, and um, and and they all believe, they or they wouldn't be there that they can be Patrick Flavin or Chris Nagel. Yep. Um, and so that's why you see a hundred guys doing it, despite the the odds that are you know stacked against them. Now on the flip side of that, you've done an excellent job throughout the your time serving as Monday Q info of highlighting some true knuckleheads. These these piranhas <laughs> that come out of the woodwork. You got cowboys in Texas with with wagons pulling. You got guys showing up on, on bicycles and no golf bags at all. 
what, where, what, who are these people? What are they coming to do? Why? I mean, is it just strictly trying to, to settle a bet? Is this a fantasy football loss? Like, what, what is happening here with these people that show up and shoot in the 140s in these Monday qualifiers or pre-qualifiers? Yeah, yeah. Th- there's, there's basically three groups. One is like they do it as a stunt. Like the guy with the wagon was the guy who ran out onto the course at the U.S. Open. So I kind of, I'm disappointed that I have even any small aspect of players trying to do this now to get some social media recognition. <laughs> so going forward, I'm going to try to suss out that it's not some sort of publicity stunt. Uh, but guys like the Cowboy Qualifier, I mean, <laughs> I've talked to the guy, I've interviewed him, had him on the podcast. He's just like a true-to-life, crazy, weird, eclectic dude who's very much a cowboy, who very much wears a cowboy outfit to golf tournaments for unknown reasons. Well, because he's a cowboy. Uh, so I love that part. I love the character part of it. He's just like a decent golfer. He probably shoots 78 or 79 at home and thinks he can do it. Uh, the last group is, is kind of hard to define. Uh, some do it because they think that pre-qualifiers are way different than they actually are. I say this all the time. It's like, if you want to go see a miserable place in pro golf, I suggest going to a, mon- a pre-qualifier <laughs> or a Monday, but truly a pre-qualifier. It's played on a crappy course. The members are pissed that anyone is using their course on a Thursday. Uh, people have paid. Ev- everyone hates to be there. It's definitely not tour quality. It's a terrible course more often than not. Like, everyone's miserable. And I think a lot of guys sign up thinking that they're going to play with someone famous or they're going to play some great course. And n- neither are true. Uh, at pre-qualifiers, there is plenty of good players, but there's plenty of not-so-great players. And uh, and I think it's – so it's 250 or $300, depending, uh, to play the pre-qualifier. And, uh, and a lot of guys do it. So how they do it is if you click – you can either – Again, as an amateur, it's 2.0 or below. Obviously, you just have to show that you have that handicap. Um, but if you click that you turn pro, there is no handicap requirements. Pros don't have handicaps. So guys just click that they've turned pro. No one ever outside of my account was ever going to like tell them they can't play in the member guest because they quote-unquote turned pro. They know right. that they're not going to collect a check. Uh, and so they click pro. There's no way for the section. I mean, first of all, the section wants their money, uh, but they don't want a guy shooting 135. They're totally fine with an 85 to 90 guy. Uh, trust me, they'll they'll cash his check and welcome him back to the next tournament. But they don't want the guy who shoots 135. But um, yeah, you click pro and off you go. You can play in a pre qualifier. <laughs> and so uh, my favorite might be uh, cowboy qualifier is pretty great. Uh, I mean, he's in a full cowboy outfit hat start shirt uh and he had a knife on his thing and he would fix his divots in ball mark with his knife i mean and and i'm telling you this is not an act i've talked to this guy multiple times are we talking like a normal pocket knife or we like is he got like no no yeah pocket knife he would flip it open (laughs) and i mean he had a temper it's just all great everything about him is great and he shoots like 85 every time and it's just amazing it's all great uh and then Last, uh, maybe like six weeks ago, a guy played in a pre-qualifier and uh, had maybe the greatest back-to-back holes ever. Uh, I got a message from a guy who played in the pre-qualifier with this guy, and he's like, 
I just had a guy who shot 74 on the front nine and then quit. And uh, on a 232-yard par three, into the wind, this guy smoked a driver to a foot and made a birdie. And the guy who told me about it is like, he acted, he said, oh my God, it's my first birdie. And it was obviously <laughs> the first birdie of the day. <laughs> the player thought it might have been the first birdie of his life. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean... And and the guy who told me is like this hole is impossible. Like I would take a three and not even tee it up. You know, he's like the average for the day was probably three point eight. Uh, this guy makes a two, and then on the next hole makes a seventeen, including a whiff Oof. from the middle of the fairway. And it was actually bigger than that because he got to the green, and they didn't have the heart to tell him that it wasn't his ball. He had hit a ball out of the hazard. No way. And. It wasn't his ball, and the two other guys are like, "I'm not going to tell him," you know, because uh, then what's going to happen is going to be a twenty. So really, he made a two slash like twenty five back to back. Wow. Okay. So outside of that, part of your job at the collective is breaking some truly incredible stories, and I know that you know a ton of research and everything goes into this, but. I think there's two that probably stick out to me. One is is the uh, the I can't remember what if it was qualifier or yeah, Q it was school. A, it was Must have qualifier been qualifier of Q school. Yeah, yeah. But the guy the 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 golf ball debacle with basically yeah. going out there. I'm sure the caddy or whoever dropped his own ball. And the second one happens yeah. to do with like an actual legitimate mini tour. So I don't know if you want to shed any light on any of those stories. Yeah, the uh, Matt Moreau story is is by far the most popular story I've ever written. And, um, yeah, he played in a pre-qualifier. Um, and uh, the how I got a hold of him is uh, the um, – uh, or, or how I heard about it is a player that played in his group on the final day of, of, of Q School – uh, sent me a message, someone from the section, I'm sorry, sent me a picture, and there was people standing out in the woods. Like, there was, I think, six people standing, and they were all looking at the woods. And uh, and the and the message said, you're never going to believe what happened. And I sent back to the guy from the Nebraska section, I go, hey, man, I get this text kind of a lot. You know, sometimes I get when they're like, you're never going to believe this happened. And he's like, a guy made a six. And I'm like, yeah, right. okay. So he's like, it's you're never going to believe this. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, this is after the round, and this guy's been accused of cheating. And I'm like, oh, this is something that I can't believe you're right. So uh, come to find out, uh, a guy hit a shot, Matt Morose, hit a shot and uh, claimed that it went in a hole. And the two guys playing with him were like, it has no, it had no chance of going in the hole. Obviously, no way to prove that. Uh, the next hole, he hit a ball way right into the woods and then magically found it. Players called him out on it. And he was eventually disqualified. Never admitting to anything. He was on my podcast, hitting his caddy, never admitting to anything. The reason they were watching him is because players in his group the previous day had said that they had found some ball. He had found two balls that were didn't seem to be where the other one is the nebraska section went out and this woods is like thick basically a jungle yes it wasn't like if you hit it in there it was gone right and they took a machete the picture is of 
that's kind of made this story famous is the two section members holding up a machete and found the two balls the previous day. So we have three total balls. And um yeah, it's just a it's just a wild story. So come to find out, uh the only article I could ever find about the guy was written in Golf Digest and it was that he had uh three holes in one, two on par fours in a one week period, I believe it was one week. And uh so then I went to his Instagram page and those kind of things. He had claimed to have 36 holes in one. And I think eight of them were on par fours. And that doesn't even include albatrosses or anything. And basically, a lot of the tournaments he's, he played in, he would make uh, an albatross or a hole in one. Or uh, it, it, was, it is the wildest story that I've ever been associated with. It is, it is wild. It is, it is truly, truly wild. It's one of the um, few times where it, it truly turned into like a, an episode of CSI. It really was. The, it, it was the section it was absolutely crazy. out there doing a forensic profile of the grounds. Yeah. You, uh, 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 so listen, I'm an interrogator by trade. This is what <laughs> I do. I used to ask the, the hardest hitting questions to some of the worst people in the world and listening yeah. to your podcast with not only him, but you also had the caddy on and yeah. just running these lines of questions on him and then like it's so clear guys like i still to this day i don't understand and yeah. and like I, i'm very curious to see what well if he tries to to get in the events or anything in the future but like yeah guys like the entire golf world knows that like yeah that you did it i the, mean it gets up I, I would love to I would love I mean this is this is as honest as I can be Cody like obviously his golf career is, is over it, it to be fair to to the people listening it's not like I canceled or anything he didn't no, have not much at of all. a career so right. the uh I would love to talk to him not to 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 screw him over not to do anything not to affect his life in any other way I just want to know why like I I would love to like so a lot of the times that he's made these alleged you know, uh, albatrosses and those kind of things. He wasn't in contention. Like this one is obvious, right? You wanted to get through Q school, right. which cheated. he did. I think uh, at the before the DQ, he was. This was first stage of Q school, and I think he like made it by one, right? No, so this was pre qualifying. But I mean, he's okay. definitely made money on albatrosses and those kind of things in event. But there's a right. lot of times. A, a great example is he made an albatross um, uh, at at. Latin American Q school. And I don't know. He didn't, I'm just using, <laughs> it's a wild situation that he makes all these albatrosses. Uh, I talked to the players that, that he played with him that day and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like now that this all come out, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. Yeah. I don't think I never saw it in the hole. That's the repeating story of all these holes in one is that no one ever saw it go in the hole. Um, but he's like the uh, king of running up and being, Oh my God! Yeah, look, look at I mean, before he, anybody is even close to one hundred percent. Cody, he he is an expert at this. He's yeah. an expert. I honestly, I got so far down this rabbit hole, and I, and I was deep in the rabbit holes. I I, I'm not positive he didn't switch clubs on that hole, and I'm not because the other two guys. So the hole in question, there was a hill right, and you couldn't see the green. The two guys, he was last to hit. Two guys hit it right. So he switched from a driver to a three wood and hit it left. I'm not positive that that both of those things weren't done on purpose, knowing that he would hit first and be over the hill, knowing where they would be 
in accordance to him being up at the green. I'm not positive it wasn't done on purpose. I'm not positive he didn't pick the course based on the fact that it had a few blind shots. Um, I mean, this is it's it's true to life. Like it's insane. It really is. Um, it is. It, it, it was a wild story. It it continue. I'd love to sit down with him and just ask him. Yeah. Why? I just I, not to. Again, not to like. I mean, obviously, this is embarrassing for him. I would assume, but not to like. I just, hey man, what what happened? Yep. You know why why did why is this a thing? You know. Yeah, it's something that doesn't need to be like a big liver king admittance of guilt here. Just just trying yeah, yeah, yeah. to figure out. Yeah, just what's like going I just want to know. Yeah, I just want to know why. So anyway, this Latin American, like he made a he made a albatross on this par five. I mean, he was off the number like fifteen. Like if he if he. Like if he, if it in fact wasn't an actual albatross, why did he do it? Yeah. Like it wasn't to qualify. He didn't have a chance. Like he could have made seven <laughs> albatrosses on the way in. He wouldn't have qualified. So like, why? Why risk it? Why do it? What a, and then what as, a fascinating the, um, look. It is. And then the big money classic is the is the other one. And uh, yeah, big money classic is it's happened too often in mini tour golf. Uh, Players get scammed, and um, yeah, there's there's four hundred thousand dollars missing. And uh, is it actually is it missing? Is it uh, are the what was it? Are we talking from legal terms? Or well, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, it's allegedly it's allegedly not missing. It's a frozen, uh, right? The frozen uh, PayPal the, account, the money or whatever is, the fuck. Well, no, the yeah. So to, to do the money's all been released to Dustin, uh, okay. who's the owner of the event. Um, and he's paid part of that to the players. Uh, the other part he's admitted to me, uh, he's admitted the amount off the record and I can't, I can't talk about that, right. but he admitted on the record that the, the amount that was given is in a bank account that, that he claims is now run by someone else. And I asked to talk to that someone else. And of course that I would guess allegedly there is, there is no one else. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it, it happens too often. It's happened numerous times. Uh, I'm actually working on a story. I'm breaking stories on this podcast, but I'm working on a story, uh, on the, it was called the national pro tour. The guy's name was Larry Lumsford. Tony Finau was actually the leading money winner at the time and he disappeared, uh, and didn't pay players and whatever. And then about four years after that, he showed up walking across uh florida raising money for a documentary and you know what? people were giving him money <laughs> and i was just and uh i have to find him i have to find him and do a story on him i just want to know and he's still around um i mean he obviously wasn't walking or allegedly he wasn't walking and uh yeah it's crazy it's just there's many tour golf has has inherently brought in scammers and um for sure it's you know, just, it's funny. It's I got wild. I got down this. We've uh, I- anybody who when Golf Channel used to actually make like interesting shows that which they no longer do. <laughs> At one time, right? Uh, remember yeah. the guy in the tubes? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Robert. Uh, what the hell was his name? I remember. Yeah, I I know what you're down for. Yeah. So yeah. the tube guy. We, I was fascinated with the show. Very much yeah. into to following his story and everything. And actually. It got to the point where 
he had disappeared for a couple of years and nobody had really heard anything. And the the, the yep. TV show kind of climaxed with him like at Champions Tour, like qualifying school. Yep. And what ended up happening is that my wife's from Puerto Rico and we go down there a couple times a year to see her family. And okay. basically when we do, like we go hang out at, at her family's house, stay with my in-laws for a couple of days, and then we go to one of the resorts. And we we're staying at one of the resorts and this is probably... 2000 uh, maybe 2015 2016 and he is there he's in puerto rico and he's teaching he's a he's literally (laughs) hustling walking up and down the range asking all these resort guests if they want teaching lessons oh my god and i'm like i stop there and i look and i'm like oh you know he has a very very recognizable face i'm like there's no way he's this california guy and I start, yeah. I start talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I had to get, got into some tax trouble, oh. and <laughs> had to get out of California, oh and uh, I've been down here. But now, you know, uh, I had to sue the government of Puerto Rico." And I'm like, well, oh "What do God. you mean?" And he's like, "Well, this like work permit thing, basically, uh, in order to, you know, to get people into the tourism industry, like they want natural." Puerto Ricans to like get some of these jobs. So they're like basically pissed. I'm like, well, do you like work here? Like, he's like, no, I don't work here. Like everything's like, I'm literally just walking up and down this range trying to get people to pay me like, you know, a 20 on the side and I'm going to give them a 10 minute swing, you know, a swing tip oh before they go God. out and play the resort round. Yeah. So I'm like, what in the world? So I get on Google and start looking at all this stuff and sure as shit. Like he was, <laughs> he's tried to sue <laughs> Uh, Port, the island of Puerto Rico in order to get a basically like a work visa, uh, which oh was denied. God. So like three years go down. This is 2019. We go back to that same resort. No sign of him. He's not, he's not anywhere. But I go inside and I ask the guys that are working in the shop. And I'm like, hey, you know, there used to be this American here. They're like, oh, yeah, he still shows up like almost every <laughs> week hustling, trying to get money. I'm like, what in the world? It's been like five years and this guy is still doing the same thing. Um, oh, amazing. I tried, we tried to Wait, find how, him for the trap. was that? In 2019, we tried to find a uh, track oh, him down for the, uh, to do an interview with yeah. him on the trap draw. And I guess he's in pretty bad uh, health now, but from what we know, he's still in Puerto Rico. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff I would love to like, how great would it be to talk to him? For sure. So like what? I, at one point in time, he was like, I think he was married to like like a celebrity's. Uh, I'm trying to think of it, but he was like a big deal he, in L.A. He needs a new. He needs a new reality. I know. Just like a, a mini doc on his life. God, I think about all that stuff. Remember they had a uh, they had Robbie Beershank. Like he had his own show and everything oh, yeah. like that. You're oh like, yeah. What? Man, it's crazy how. Uh, I think Robbie got in some legal trouble too i think he was like hawking some stolen cars or something like that <laughs> i mean i might need to do a show on on former P, uh golf channel like you know guys yeah the talent break. <laughs> yeah the talent what happened not everybody's yeah. uh tony or gipper or or kip yeah, or, no. or every or anything For every like one that. tony <laughs> yeah. every one tony there's 20 other guys <laughs> sure. and girls that didn't crack an egg anyway for sure Man, it's wild. But incredible job with the uh, the big money stuff is weird. My question on that still is like he he solely relies on the information that the this betting or whatever the sponsor was. And that's what he always defaulted to. But even in like the, the information provided 
via the lawsuit and stuff that you brought to light, like it never show it ne- doesn't say anything in there about like equity or anything else that he rode so hard on. Yeah, I mean, and that lawsuit has just been has just been thrown out. Uh, you know, I wrote an article maybe I don't know eight weeks ago about it being thrown out, and you know, he was always like, "We're going to refile," and uh, you know, there's been no refile. Um, you know, I I uh, I struggle with um, you know, I, I I struggle with with Dustin, and Dustin calls me all the time, still still to this day, and um. And, uh, you know, I struggle with, like, did he did he started out as a con and he's like, I wanted to do it legitimate. He paid everybody the first year, took some right. time, but then he used this year's to pay last year's winner who happens to be Adam Svensson who just won on the PGA Tour. And, you know, he kind of built, like, what is basically a pyramid, like, Ponzi scheme. He started this year's event to pay last year's winner, and then he started a women's event hoping to pay the men's, and then he started to tour and that was going to pay for the women's, and eventually he was hoping to catch up, right? And I just don't think, like, I don't know why, like, I don't know why he put on the second event, like, just walk away. Uh, I, I guess the second event, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's. Uh, I'd love to do a documentary on Dustin because he, this has happened before in his life. This is not his first rodeo, and uh, and it, he's been in multiple sports, and um it's just uh, there's a lot of characters in mini tour golf on the course, off the course, uh, caddies. Uh, it's a it's a it's a wild side of it's a very like I, I think that's what's resonated with people. Cody is it's a lot of uh, we don't see the faults of the top. Obviously, like Tiger scandal and those kind of things, we see their faults. But like on a day to day basis, we don't. At right. a Monday qualifier, you're gonna you're gonna get like a cross section of you know. You're going to have the guy who's a known gambler. You're going to have the guy who's a known drunk. You're going to have the guy who's been arrested a few times. Uh, you're going to have like a cross site. It's like guys at your club, basically. Like, yeah, that guy's had, you know, three DUIs yeah. or whatever. And uh, it's just a very much a cross section. It's like regular Joes who are just really great at golf. Uh, and um, I think that's kind of what has resonated with people. But mini tour golf has some crazy, crazy characters. Yeah. I think speaking of like documentaries and, and amazing stories and shows that are out there, not just specifically in the audioscape, but being able to get them on video is, I think a lot of people, me, myself included, very, very excited to see what the grind documentary actually comes out to be. And I, and I know I don't want to get you in trouble or say anything that you're not supposed to, mm-hmm. but uh, your podcast is amazing, sharing stories and insight of, of people that do this day in and day out. And I think getting a look at the cast that you guys have assembled on the video side, it's going to be incredible to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first two episodes are going to be, you know, uh, so what we've done is everybody's going to have one or multiple episodes. So it's not going to be like, you know, multiple players in one episode. So basically, and the first two are, are, are Mark Baldwin and, and, uh, I think it just gives great insight to to just another layer of of what of what these guys go to. You know, uh, Mark's wife Sarah is at home, and she's very honest that like, hey, uh, I've chased Mark across the world. Uh, Mark's played on the Korean tour and the Asian tour and the Canadian tour and the Latin American tour. He's played on sixteen uh, world 
golf ranking uh, accredited uh, uh, tours. And she's like, I'm tired. We have a kid. And, you know, at some yeah. point he's got to either play better or we got to move on. And it's just a raw look. You know, like they live in a, a small apartment in Scottsdale. Uh, he he plays at a public course. Um, him and his wife argue about him playing or not playing. And, you know, he has he has in-laws who, you know, want him to get a real damn job. And I understand where they're yeah. coming from. Um, but also he's super talented and you have events like, uh, the AT&T. I mean, he's made his last three PGA tour cuts His only th- three PGA tour cuts in the last year. In two of those, we were in the top 20, uh, on the weekend at some point. And so it's like, you are literally Mark shot 75 on the final day at the AT&T. Had he shot 67, he would have changed his life. Uh, yeah. and obviously that's a big if. You know, that's a but he was in position. Like we were standing on the on the tee on Sunday, uh, at Pebble Beach with a chance to change his life. And when you're in that position, that is that carrot that keeps going out there, like, man, I can play out here. Uh you know, and so uh Peter Jacobson is <clears throat> played with us in the AT and T and he was uh very much like, Hey, Mark, you you can't quit. And uh, he he does an interview of that, so it's very much the show is based on a lot of players. Uh, again, Mark will be the first two episodes, but just an insight of what they what they go through on on a day to day basis of life with no status. Life is, you know, we talk all things financial, relationship, uh, and and I I don't mean to say that because you have money that makes things relationships and those type of things easy. Um, in some cases, it probably makes it harder. But, um, you know, Mark and his wife argue about money. And they argue about uh, how rent's going to be paid. And yeah. why Mark spent $1,500 to come back to a Monday qualifier when he could have made 3000 at the at a Pro-Am the next day. Like, those are very real-life conversations because that 3000 <laughs> pays rent for a month and a half. And yeah. uh, so it's just another level of insight to what these guys and and girls go through to to try to to try to make it work i know that uh andy was on that list and you guys have done an awesome job giving andy a platform to tell his story not only from the start of everything coming out with live but obviously on the backside of it too winning in egypt and and continuing uh his journey which i still am not I still am shocked by the suspension letter that ends, I guess, at the end of the year. Well, I guess we'll just wait and see in January what if there's a new yep. letter that's sent or something like that. But anyway, is Andy going to be part of this? Is his, is his exposure in live or in, you know, the international series events, w- will it be part of the grind? Yeah, we, we've been with Andy and, and, and recorded some uh, with him. Yeah, he will definitely be a part of it. And and he's a great example of, uh, you know, I think, listen, I'm not a live fan. I've been openly, uh, I mean, I just don't like to take the political side out of it. I know that's impossible to do, but I love uh, that too. I, I it, love when people I mean, are like, well, let's first, let's start with, we got to take the politics out of this. Like, well, yeah. well, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't like, I mean, I know that's impossible to do. I'm saying like, I totally disagree from a political <laughs> standpoint. That being said, just from a, golf perspective is boring okay that doesn't mean they haven't made an impact 
they have they have the best golfer in the world on the tour they've made an yeah. impact they've changed the way the pga tour works for all the people no matter what i know you guys go through it no matter what you post you 50 tell you oh you're licking the boots yes. of the pga tour or uh or oh you live is great like live has made an impact in pro golf 100 percent. they are a player it's just super boring to me like 54 holes of guys who are already rich getting richer is just super boring to me but um but I don't I don't blame players for their going there and in the early times I don't blame Andy at all like zero uh, and Andy was is a US Open champion or US amateur champion and people think that that leads to something outside of exempt it leads to exemptions and some like some uh sponsorship but Andy wasn't like the greatest ever so he he didn't sign any big sponsorship deals right. and then he didn't play well in his exemptions then he got hurt then covid happened and no one cares about Andy Ogletree. Yeah. Like, no one. And he's not getting exemptions. Uh, and he was out of money. Like, he was broke. And he got offered a chance to go play at a live event. He went. He, he knew he was his minimum was going to be 120000 He knew that that was probably good for two years of, of playing pro golf, even if he finished last. He was hurt. He went. We all know. We all made fun of him. I understand why we, why we made fun of him. He shot, like, plus 26 or something like that. And he made 120,000 and he got suspended for the from the PGA Tour for it. I don't blame him at all. Like it's kept his tour. He wouldn't have won in Egypt if he didn't go to live because he he was out of money. Yeah. Like him his agent and I and Andy have conversations all the time. He's like, "I wasn't there wasn't there's nothing to sell. Like I can't be an agent. Like <laughs> there's nothing to sell." He's a he's a former US Open or amateur champion. That hasn't played well and been hurt. I think that's a lot of uh, a separate conversation that nobody's really talked too much about too is, is everybody sees these big contracts and no cut events and all this guaranteed money. And, and for a while there, it was, uh, I think a lot of people started to realize or notice this trend that it was a lot of agent, like a lot of guys that are coming from the same agency that are signing these contracts and then starting to look and, maybe poke around and think like, wait, well, is this more better off on the agent or the agency than the player or what's going on there? Yeah. 10% or 20% or whatever the percentage is of big contracts and guaranteed purses is way better than 10% and nothing guaranteed on the PGA tour. Yes. So, uh, when you have an agent that is, uh, influential, uh, it's not hard to f- to figure out. I mean, the caddies, everybody in your life is pushing for that. I mean, I say it all the time, yeah. Cody. Like, I hate live. I hate the, politically. I hate the golf. If they called tomorrow and said, hey, Ryan, we're going to do Monday qualifiers, and we're going to offer you $10 million to cover <laughs> them for the next two years. Jeez, a lot of people in my life, <laughs> my wife who lived through COVID, who's a very big advocate of women's rights, would probably be like, yeah, we could probably make that work for two years oh you know? ryan so it's well, like, okay so a uh, big advocate on women's rights you gotta look at what right. about the people the money's coming from yeah yeah exactly exactly like and so like uh yeah i mean i get why players win and but everybody makes money right like yes the caddies at the end of the day it's a business yeah and people need to make business everyone, decisions yeah everybody in that player's life is going to make more money for those that don't know coaches are often based on uh they they make deals that if 
they'll get they don't get anything up front. They get a percentage of the yep. of a prize. And so like three percent of a guaranteed purse or three percent of like maybe we'll make a cut and the purse is one fifth of the amount, yeah, that guy's pushing you there too. So your caddy, your agent, your manager, your spouse, probably, uh, everybody's like, yeah, pushing you to go. So again, I wish players didn't go. I also understand why they're gone. Yeah. I think that's a, where I always come back to it too. Is like, it's, I don't know. It's just a, a fractured golf world. And I understand yep. that you like, if I fired up whatever tournament it is, I'm never going to get guaranteed outside of the majors as it is that you're going to get the best players playing but at least you had a better opportunity to see them. And and for the communities where these events are based in, it means an awful lot charity-wise, and people can laugh about that and, and you know point fingers back at the PGA Tour and say, oh, okay, so you want to hide under that umbrella. But at the end of the day, it, it just a fractured golf world, I don't think is probably the best thing for golf, professional golf. Yeah, uh, and back to, to where it means, you know, a, a lot of people always respond, uh, that it creates more opportunities for guys that have not. I'm afraid, Cody, that we're headed towards it being a lot less. Yeah. It seems that the PGA Tour uh, is headed towards having at least eight events that are basically live events. Yeah. And uh, and I and I don't know how a sponsor that doesn't have any ele- elevated events really keeps signing up. This tour within the tour idea, I like no one. For those that don't know that are listening, no one cares about the Corn Ferry. No one goes. If you go to a Corn Ferry event, there is no fans there outside of a few, okay? If you get away from 18 where some members hang out and a lot of volunteers hang out, if you go out to, like, the fifth hole and take family members away, there's no fans, zero. And so a tour, the same thing at – I mean, Mark and I have played – I've caddied in the Barracuda the last two years. There's no fans. Right. Uh, And so this tour within a tour – I don't know how feasible that is in the long term. Uh, it seems we're going to limited field events. So my concern from c- covering guys that, you know, play on the outskirts of pro golf is that the opportunities will be far, far less down the road, unfortunately, I think. I hope I hope I'm wrong. I, I really hope I'm wrong, and, and the tour might prove me wrong that this all works and whatever. I'm afraid we're headed for two live tours, and now we're just going to separate the best players in the world, and I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, you brought up earlier the the thought, rumor, whatever you want to say, of potential Monday qualifiers for live events. And I think the reason why they do that is because there's certain qualifi- or qualifiers that they need in order to be, you know, uh, to bolster their chances of getting mm-hmm. OWGR points. And, and I think, you know, I think you've done a, a good job of kind of not really putting them to bed, but like just saying, I've never, I haven't heard any of this besides just kind of the, the constant churn, but anything else to, to kind of breathe on that. Yeah. I mean, I've heard from players again, they're, they're trying to meet an OWGR uh, standard as it speaks, not as it, as it stands now, you know, the farther we get uh, away from OWGR, I think it's getting more and more criticism from players and the hero obviously brings it up every year, but even, more more this year because some players like Rom and Tiger have been outspoken about it. Um, but one of the current requirements is that you have qualifiers. And so, um, you know, I mean, again, from a, from a coverage standpoint, 
you're going to have a line around the – again, it goes back to Andy Ogletree, Cody. Players of Andy and Mark and all the guys out there, they want a place to play. Yeah. They don't care where it is. If you said, hey, there's a tournament in Tibet and the purse is 300000 they're going to go to Tibet. Yep. They just want a place to play. They have no choice to make a political decision. <laughs> like, they just don't have – I mean, of course they do. That That's not fair. But if they want to continue their career and someone said, hey, I'm going to guarantee $120,000, they are going to go. Uh, and so a Monday qualifier obviously brings up a whole other point. Like, if you play in a qual- Monday qualifier, can you get suspended – even though you're not in the event and all those kind of things. But let's say that you can't get suspended unless you get in to the event. There will be a 1,000 players, minimum. They're going to have to cap it at a 1,000. Uh, and I don't care if it's for one spot because, again, golfers do not do math when it comes to odds of of getting it. No one would go to a Monday qualifier if they, if they did, like, actual statistics, right? Like – Andrew Yoon showed up to the 105th one and was like, I'm getting through, yep. and he got through. So, like, they, if they said one spot, still going to be 1,000 guys. No cut event, and you guaranteed 120,000, and probably more next year. I don't even know what the purses are. Like, there's going to be a line around the door, and it's going to be super compelling. <laughs> Dude, mean, well, that's what I agree with. I think there's so much that that Liv could do be, to make itself, yes. like, a more entertaining and, and, like, exciting product. Like, I think of that, and... If, I mean, they can literally do whatever they want. They're going to this team concept, right? And and the latest that, that we heard is like, oh, so m- the majority of teams are going to sign a fifth player and they're going to have a, a reserve that they travel around with mm-hmm. and practice yeah. with and, and whatnot. Well, okay, well, who says that like, you know, we believe that we don't know for sure, but like it, we, it's been rumored that these team captains hold the equity. Well, why can't? Okay, so can DJ tomorrow tweet out something and say, I'm going to hold an open qualifier for my fifth member of my team. Everybody show up at whatever in Jupiter and let's go. Like, is that how that works? Because that would be fucking phenomenal. Or or the thought of like, hey, listen, Pat is struggling again. Like we're, uh, he's benched this week. We're pulling somebody up. Who wants? Be here at this time. I mean... I, when there was trades, like we all made fun of. I mean, they got to change the names of the teams. The names of, of the teams are o- o- offensively horrible. <laughs> and uh, but like, if you were like, if you had actual really good names, and there was like trades, like if yes. you had like, if you're like, oh, uh, I'm gonna trade Cam Smith for you know uh, a DJ, that would be super compelling. I mean, like really actually compelling. Uh, they need to be you know, I, so much more transparent with all this shit, though. And that's like, yep. I, stop like punching. They don't need to get in this fist fight with everybody. And like, they don't need to get all their yep. the the live tracker accounts and bots and everything f- just punching yeah. randomly. Like, we don't yeah. need that stuff. Like, just tell us, like, why are we finding yep. out on a, a Wednesday afternoon that like, oh, this week now, all of a sudden, like three scores are counting for the team instead of two. Like, just... Yep. Just tell us what the fuck's going on. Like, how, how are we yep. supposed to... We have to follow this. No matter what my my views are, like, I have to follow Live Golf. Yeah, I get that a lot, too. It's like, why are you... Why I wrote an article about Chase Kepka, and it had nothing to do with Live. 
he plays right. on Live, but it, it had nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. Why are you giving him press? I was like, I cover golf. What the fuck are you talking about? What? I don't know. Like, what are you supposed to do? I talk, I call Chase at no intention of the story ever. Like, it was going to be like, hey, what can I find out about Live through Chase? Yeah. And it turned into like, hey, man, I was super depressed and it was compelling. I would have written the story if he was playing on the Filipino tour, the Asian tour, the PJ tour, or the Live tour. Uh, but like, same thing and and it goes as you know cody like my, that's my argument with with the pga tour too this whole alex fitzpatrick story that i wrote it's just like just be transparent just like that's it like hey we the, we think the rankings are screwed up and uh we gave him a spot in the finals it doesn't have to be like the alex NDAs story is and, so wild and i kind of like yeah i know you did a good job of this and i i know you made it a good point of I think whoever does the headlines or social for you guys. No, it was a, a bit aggressive. The, 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 like it, it's not really like a flaming on Alex. I think he's just like yeah, he has a name and like you know something to back it. But it's really like at, again back at the tour transparency on both sides of all these issues. Like just just say what the hell's going on. Yeah, I'll say this exactly. too. So we make a big deal about the PIP and everything that's changing with these elevated events. And in order to be the, you know, top 20 of the PIP automatically gets you into these elevated events and we're all going to play together because that's what the the Delaware delegation came up with and everything. Yeah. Tiger's not going to play in all those events. Yeah. So does that mean right. he's given his money back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, if you just said, hey, uh, you know, we're going to give Tiger some money because he deserved Great. it. He was probably underpaid. Everybody would be like, yeah, right. you're right. He was underpaid. Hell yeah. He probably does. To, like, I don't care that he got, he won the pip. Just tell me why he won the pip. That's it. Yeah. Like, it's no problem. Like, hey, you know what? Tiger, we want to keep him and Tiger's super important <laughs> and uh, we would like to pay, we found a way to pay him $15 million. Well, That's it. We're good. Which I'm so surprised. Like, like, it seems like for every step that PGA Tour makes on the good side, you're like, they take 15 steps backwards. And still, yeah, like, I thought it was like when all this stuff was happening, momentum early in the fall and, and all this stuff. And then yeah. they're like, oh, yes, we, you know, we signed Jason Gore to be the now player relations or, or yeah. liaison for the PGA Tour. Same thing he was doing at PGA of America. I'm like, well, where the fuck's Jason been in all this stuff? Like, what what is he? Yeah. What is he saying? Why isn't he the one? Yeah, I don't like, know if. I, I always say this, Cody, and I'm sure. Nolling up, and you guys all all fight the same thing. It's like I don't even know who I'm mad at at the PGA <laughs> Tour because everybody that I have a relationship with at the tour, I really like. Sean Martin saved my career. Yeah. I mean, I was going to quit the account, and he was like, "Ryan, you need to write for the." You know, he figured out a way for me to write the article for the PGA Tour. So, like, hell, if it wasn't for Sean, I would be long gone. And and uh, I like everyone at the PGA Tour. I don't even know who I I'm. Know. I like. I don't even know who I'm mad at. Like I had a great conversation with a, a very higher up during the Alex Fitzpatrick story. He's cordial and nice. And then at the end he goes, yeah, we don't have a comment. And I'm just like, what the what? hell are we, what were we on the phone for? Right. What do we, okay. Thanks buddy. The, the other, like, yeah, it's hard to point out what the actual issue is. The transparency is maybe the default, but like at the end of the day, your position, my position, other people's, uh, stance like we're we're talking about golf like it, it, that's what they should want to do and enjoy and, and hope that more people do to am, amplify their product and and their storylines and everything. What I would say is the one person who keeps saying take that video down or you can't talk about yeah. that or whatever like that's yeah. like listen like 
we're we're not paid by you, but you have all yep. of this control based off your rights and everything else. It's a mess. Who knows? We'll see if that changes or not. But Ryan, I appreciate the time. It's an absolute Thankfully. fascinating follow. I'm a big uh, big listener of the podcasts, and I'll continue to do so. And I'll make sure that I Thanks, plug man. everything in the in the episode description. Anything else on our way out? No, thanks for having me on, Tron. As I said, uh, I think in the, I don't know if we we're recording or not, but uh, again, uh, a bunch of people have handy, helped me uh, get to this point. Tron is among them. I bounced a million ideas off of him, and uh, he was super helpful. And so I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for asking. It was really fun. Absolutely. Cheers, buddy.
Thank you.